and welcome to the Ophelia's Bagpiper podcast. I'm Seamus and we're back. Hello. Hello Rob. It's been a while since we've had you on. <laughs> it's been a while since I've done anything Netrunner related, but yep. Yeah. Hi everybody. I mean, it's interesting that you should mention Netrunner. Obviously, we continue to follow in the footsteps of better, more established Netrunner podcasts. Yes. And like Run Last Click, we've rebranded. Yep. Uh, they're doing culture, TV, movies, books. Indeed. And we're mostly covering Brexit now. Yes, Brexit cast. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 2.0. The never-ending story. <laughs> very exciting that we're now getting cross-party talks, but disappointing that we may not get Meaningful Vote 3. Yeah, I was looking forward to it. I really wanted to know what was going to happen in the sequel, and then the you know the spin-offs and all the rest of it as well. It, yeah. A shame. So we're hoping to get uh, Keir Starmer on for future episodes. But, okay. Uh, in the meantime, um, we've... You've leveraged all Netrunner connections uh, to get a couple of Netrunner guests on to talk about mostly Brexit, but also maybe some Nisei stuff. Okay. Um, and they are uh, David, uh, aka Dividus, and Paniotis, aka Xenos, uh, both from the dev team at Nisei. Welcome, both. Hi there. Hello there. Thanks for having us. Welcome to the show. How, how are things going over in Nisei Plaza? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We are a nice wee family here and we're still i guess basking somewhat in the afterglow of um downfall's release you know enjoying seeing the positive reception as well as the negative but this what it is (laughs) is it now uh far enough from the sort of the crunch of getting it released that you have forgotten how much hard work it was and can just enjoy the results or are there still memories of pain Oh no, the, the pain. It's this is the wounds and scarring are real, but <laughs> the pain actually continues on the next set. <laughs> we never, we the never pain stop is felt very pain. physically. Too many um, all-nighters. So, is this the the secret of making a living card game? It wish, makes you wish you were dead. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that. Well, actually, depending on the day, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, for the moment at least, uh, you can enjoy this positive moment that you have uh, developed and released a product. I actually got my copy today, uh, and the cards are lovely, and uh, I've already been playing with them. Very cool. It's been very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. They are very, very cool. We're just going to jump right in. Um, you're both on the development team. Why don't we begin, uh, first of all, with you, Xenos. What's your background uh, and how did that lead you to ending up doing development for Nisei? Okay, Netrunner-related background and gaming in general. Okay, I started playing uh, the new edition of Netrunner just when it came out, 2012, if I remember correctly. Oh, God, old old school. Yeah, old school. Uh, I actually played some of the original Netrunner also. Oh, right. <laughs> so oh, wow. really old school. Uh, the game came out. At that time, I had a major move. I changed cities and I was, I was unemployed for three or four months, if I remember correctly. So I played a lot of Netrunner sure, at that, that time. That is the yeah. perfect time to play Netrunner. Yeah. <laughs> and then DBO, who is a friend of my crew, a friend of ours, uh, released Octagon. So we had to play there. We played oh, a wow. lot. Oh, cool. And so, the, Rob, the, I don't know if you would even remember Octagon. I have played... So the very first card game I ever played was Warhammer Conquest. Ah. And it was a, a very janky version of it on Octagon for a little while. So I ha, I, I know of Octagon. Goodness. <laughs> Sorry, Zinos, carry on. Yeah, and um, 
Another lucky incident was that at that time my wife was pregnant and she just slept from six o'clock in the afternoon till the next morning. <laughs> so, so actually I had every day four to five hours to play on Octagon. It was just <laughs> playing, playing and grinding decks. It was actually awesome. And four or five hours on Octagon, that's probably as many as eight games. Is that right? Yeah, more or less. And <laughs> the funny thing was that actually at that time people learned how to play. They were discovering Netrunner. You didn't have any meta choices or anything like that. You just learned how to play the fundamentals there. It was actually really cool. See, with how often you played Z, I feel like actually we went up against each other several times. Yeah, I'm pretty knowing. sure we went up against each other at that time. <laughs> and uh, concerning now, uh, I've done some development work and some design work for other board games. Mainly oh, right, okay. Yeah, mainly Greek publishers, RTPI games and stuff. And yeah, that's all actually. I really love gaming, so that's all. Is there anything uh, else you've worked on that we might have heard of? Uh, Among the Stars, probably. It's a board game. I've, I've heard of it. I've okay, played it. Fantastic. But I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And some other games from RTPA games and some mini war games. Very good. And what was it that made you answer the call when um, all the various positions with Nisei were well, advertised and filled? Mm. The, the main thing was the first the realization that Netrunner was not going to be made anymore. So you had to do something. That's how I felt. I had to do something, you know. Uh, I couldn't uh, make an application for a head role. I, I do not have real life time to do this. <laughs> but, <laughs> but once they asked for associate developers and designers, that's what I applied for. Uh, I actually did a small set of my own during the time that Netrunner stopped, just as a psychological exercise to get your mind working and not grief that the game died, you know? Sure. <laughs> and I sent my application, Dave saw the set, she liked it, called me 5 a.m. in the morning, since he's in New Zealand, <laughs> he's in the future. <laughs> and we ended up having a conversation through the whole day, through Messenger. And she said, okay, welcome to the team. It was probably a very nice day for me <laughs> that day. <laughs> and then Fantastic. that's all, actually. We, uh, I think we just want to keep Netrunner alive. That's the idea. Yeah. And so, David, you are lead designer, head designer? Oh, sorry, developer? That's correct. Yep. That is the official title. I brandish it like a weapon. <laughs> that <sounds> fearsome. <laughs> Let's start, start with you. Um, what made you answer the call, as it were, and then... And sort of loop background to your background. Um, yeah, like I imagine basically anyone who was very active at the time, I was pretty crushed when I heard the original news. Um, it was a strange sort of, not mourning, I guess, but like this recognition that a huge part of my life was now just this stark emptiness. Um, <laughs> but yeah, almost... Almost immediately, you know, Jaco and others rallied together, starting movement of things actually mobilizing and happening. I went, okay, cool. Uh, the moment application process arose, I went, okay. You know what? I, I guess, like Z, I figured out this is something that I almost had to be involved in, and... I felt, you know what, I actually do have a set of skills to contribute here. I only actually applied for development um, because, yeah, my my set of skills are reasonably uh, niche in that respect. 
I don't consider myself especially skilled or equipped to do any of the other things really, but development I went, okay, I think I can do this. I love the uh I love the sense of almost like civic pride and duty that people when you say <laughs> have done, like I must do something now. <laughs> well this is the thing, right? When when the meta is uh just Xenos and his friends as children uh keeping the game going and they're gonna ask, you know, uh what did you do when Netrunner was cancelled? <laughs> It's going to be a, a tougher conversation for you and I to have, isn't it, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> See, um, New Zealand, we only have like seven people total. So it's, you know, I, I really <laughs> would uh, feel the brunt of it if I didn't do anything. So what was your sort of like background in Netrunner and, uh, and gaming? You, you started playing from the very, very beginning of new um, Netrunner? Yeah, so I actually, I have no experience with OG Netrunner aside from having a wee giggle about how silly much of the art is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've since really young age, I've been inordinately passionate about games, both digital and analog, since I was but a youngin. Little has changed. <laughs> I'm a bit taller now and drastically more cynical, but yeah, details. <laughs> um, so as pertains to Netrunner, I've been playing for... I was going to give a year number, and then I realized that I didn't quite know it. But I've been playing since early mid-Genesis. So, um, yeah, so I pl started playing when Trace Amount had just, just dropped. I saw an evil, scary robot baby, and I went, this is probably <laughs> the game for me. We'll see. <laughs> um, and then uh, after playing a little and getting blown up, after a funny-looking digital bird was spying on me enough times, <laughs> I, I I thought, okay, I, I'm this is this is tickling all the right flavor buttons for me, and mechanically, um, this is something that I could really see myself getting into. You mentioned that you felt that um, development was like the the one thing that you could do. Do you have a development background? Um, yeah, what I've done a fair amount of it has been local. Um, my work on card games was initially actually as an illustrator, a uh, comic illustrating background. So my Netrunner oh, cool. proxies nice. are somewhat legendary. But um, <laughs> yeah, th this, again, it's a comic style that really wouldn't suit at all. But yeah, I have done some development work for card games, both, I guess, minor locally within NZ and more significantly um, for FG. So I was a playtester for Netrunner for a while. What was your greatest sin then? What was the, oh, the in retrospect, I, many, obvious many, problem many, card you let through? Many, many. <laughs> um, I would say that... Oof, uh, yeah, I, I would say that MT was uh, definitely one that I wish we had been a little bit more conservative <laughs> on. Um another and ultimately i know why i did this and i think it was correct the reasoning so wari he's the anteater oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. he's the best pet that you've ever had but yeah, you would uh, trade him yep and then the cement flavor text goes on and on after that and you're like no just stop Come yeah. on. <laughs> um so early on initially the it was very very broken imagine that effect but you could do it always um, oh, it's, so it's not trashing itself. It's just like this recurring, hey, as long as I'm getting into HQ, you are never 
like any ice oh, you raise Lord. is not going to be that you raised. <laughs> so <laughs> wow. it was pretty disgusting. And I was, Fun stuff. I guess, emphasizing that constantly um, in my reports. But yeah, <laughs> eventually that it was just, okay, cool. Uh, I guess it will be completely impermanent work once. And I went, oh, okay, job done. When in reality, I should have gone at that point, okay, right. So this is terrible now. But um, <laughs> I was going to say, you can at least congratulate yeah, yourself. No, I congratulated myself. It is not on, a broken card. Yeah, this is no longer anything degenerate and something. The, the, the truly shameful thing is that I, it might, the process didn't end there. I, it's, I told myself, okay, cool. I, I did my job, I guess. Um, and then I still don't actually have the excuse of, oh, but then I forgot about it because I didn't. The, the description, the flavor text. Oh, I gotta pull it up again, but it's something like, yeah, the best pet you ever had, but you'd still trade him in for something better or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So initially, the text was the best pet I've ever had, and I wouldn't uh-huh. trade him for anything. Um, oh. But I specifically said, hey, um, this text doesn't work because it trashes itself now after one use. <laughs> so I even very explicitly oh, no. went, oh, also, actually, the flavor text that you've opted to use doesn't work in light of the fact that he's terrible now. I, I could have saved poor Wari. I did well. not expect us to be talking about Wari. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, someone has to talk about Wari. That's the thing. The community has been silent on that poor little guy for too long. Xenos, uh... Help us out. We're idiots. What is development? We've been bluffing this conversation so far, just nodding and smiling at your answer. You've answers. done it well. I, I will say you've done it <laughs> admirably. Well, when we got onto Wari, I was like, well, this is ground I'm far more comfortable with. I know a lot about Wari. <laughs> I was right in my brain. Many, many a did. time. Many a time. It would be really interesting to see the spike in clicks in Wari in NetrunnerDB after the podcast goes out. <laughs> A lot of people are going to click it, search for it. <laughs> so, what is development? Mm. If we want to go by the book, we can say that you actually transform a vision, let's say, into reality, the vision of the designer into an actual product. So, that's what we're trying to do. We have the design department and the creative department that spend a long time together trying to me- to come up with ideas and concepts for the new set. Then the design department gives us actually cards, but mainly ideas. And then we have to see how everything works and clicks. Um, or this is the, let's say, the, the poetic part. You can actually say that uh, development is also an over-glorified, let's say, play testing. You just want to test, test, and test everything that design gave to you and try to balance it out. Uh, Mainly, this is the thing. It's not so creative, let's say. It's mainly you want to stabilize and balance things. That's the, that's the thing. You want to make design work. And so I suppose what what makes it uh, an important part of the process from idea for a thing that could be a Netrunner to a thing that comes through the post to my door? Um. So in terms of the importance of the development process, which I guess to give my um, take on it. Uh, so development yeah, is please. the part of the process wherein designs move from initial concepts and blueprints and are iterated upon 
and undergo refinement. Yeah, it's the process after the first ideas come in and all throughout. So it's a fairly ongoing process. In terms of as differentiated from design, because I'm sure you, there are a whole number of departments, and that's part of why I'm sure you asked the question, what is development? Because it's development, design, creative, rules. So it's obviously not rules, but and these folks don't appear to be remotely creative. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so design department comes up with the overall vision of the set mechanically, um, working alongside creative. They create the prototypes, uh, which they then hand over to development. We workshop and review initial prototypes, collectively agree, on, hopefully, on an appropriate V1 and get back to design to let them know of any changes uh, that we proposed, um, let them have the opportunity to reevaluate, and then begins the wider playtest process. And so from there, development directs the playtest network accordingly. With each version, we collate and assess tester feedback, iterate further based on feedback, and come up with the next version. Up until we get one that we are comfortable with, then typically we do one more, and that becomes hmm. the final version. The, I guess the importance of it is that throughout this process, when we're making substantive functional changes, there's a continued uh, conversation with design, rules, and creative. So design, uh, we, whenever we're making you know, a substantive functional change, i.e. beyond just numbers, um, we are trying to ensure that the cards are fitting the original vision. Um, or, if they're not, why we saw fit to deviate. Um, so with rules, we have to communicate with them to make sure actually the cards, when we're making changes particularly, work within the existing rules framework. Um, and if they don't, if there's, yeah, what we have to change or tweak. And with creative, to keep them appraised, because a mechanically significant change may well influence the art or theme of a card. So aside from the obvious getting the numbers right aspect, um, having development as like an iterative, ongoing process allows us to identify issues beyond just numbers. Another aspect that uh, it's not so highlighted in during development is the communication aspect. You're actually the connection between design and play testing. It's very it's two groups that are very different. We have the group of play testers that you have there some very vocal players, some very passionate <laughs> players. <laughs> they, they, you have to filter everything, check it yourself, and then move it to design. Then you have the designers trying to defend their creation. They are their babies, actually, so they have to defend them. So you are a connection, a filter between everyone. You have to be communicative. Otherwise, you are not doing a good job, actually, and a good development job. You have to be open-minded, first of all, and accept that if you, if you can actually put yourself in the place of the, of the other speaker, the, if you can see his point, his share point, uh, then you are a good developer, actually. You can see their concerns and try to do something about that, or just transfer it to someone that will do something about that. But th that's the idea. You have to see the game from every angle possible, even if you have an opinion and uh, all all the people all people have opinions okay development developers also sometimes have very strong opinions but you have to back down listen to everyone and then uh, reevaluate everything 
And is that something that you would say is quite distinct to that position then? Because, you know, having and embracing one's strong personal opinions might be sort of really necessary to be like an inventive designer, for example. Well, I actually see designers as artists. They are very creative. They create something out of null, out of the void. So they have strong opinions and they must insist on their opinions. They want to create something new. So it's their viewpoint, they create something. Then the developers take this and have to evaluate it by their standards, by the designer standards, by what the people want to play, what they enjoy. So you have to see the broader picture, what people, you, you have to produce an enjoyable product, that's the idea. A product that will provide enjoyable moments, that will provide interesting plays, that will provide competitive and smart plays. You have to provide a very wide array of things and uh, you have to communicate with everyone. That, that's, I think that's what will make a very good developer. You can always crunch the numbers in Excel, you can always theory craft, but if you don't listen to the people, I'm not, I don't think you are doing a good job. So do you have uh, sort of your own personal development ethos then, the things that you're wanting to achieve? Personal as uh, every developer in say separately or as a team? Hey, why not both? <laughs> <laughs> Insert me here. Okay, uh, let Dave take for um, now. Yeah, the... Sure, sure, and feel free to jump on slash piggyback. Um, yeah, so my, I guess I have various different permutations of the same general thought or axiom for development, which is... It's not exactly groundbreaking, uh, but simplicity does not necessarily equate to boring, and complexity does not necessarily result in compelling design. Uh, put another way, there can be elegance in simplicity and confusion in complexity. So basically the, the KISS principle of design, so the, the keep it simple stupid. Um, which I, I generally don't put it like that because it feels a little condescending. Um, but yeah, the idea that I think on occasion players and that myself, I'm absolutely including myself, uh, can be, I guess, somewhat quick to assume a card being straightforward or uncomplicated means that it lacks nuance or is, is boring. A card having a clear and simple functionality actually may well allow it to be used across a wide range of different archetypes. Yeah, so a card having little text on it, or um, just mechanically playing in a very straightforward way, actually means that it has a diver you know a large number of uses. Its um, use cases are diverse and varied. Conversely, you can have an extremely mechanically complex card, which might appear interesting on first glance, but it's complex by merit of having different caveats or play restrictions. So it's, I guess it's like an artificial complexity. So in truth, uh, you just end up with a very narrow card. For me, the trying, I guess trying to find the, the elegance and simplicity is, is definitely a major thing there. How about you, Zenos? Well, actually, <laughs> simplicity is uh, my goal also. Yeah, I, but... I stole his, really. <laughs> 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 but I think that my personal ethos is that I want to produce something, as I said before, that's enjoyable and it can be approached from different angles. You want competitive cards, you want junk cards, you want fun cards, you want everything. If you can achieve this, then you've done a good job. If people actually enjoy playing, if people 
Once the set came out, I saw my local meta, the people that are not involved in playtesting anyway, talk about the cards, not playing, just talking. And then I understood that we actually did something good. They kept talking, drinking beer and talking in the cafe, you know, just talking about the new cards, theory crafting decks and everything. This is something that actually intrigued them, so they wanted to... to how you call it? Sorry for my English. They wanted to get in it more. So, in, enjoyable product, that's my ethos. And uh, another thing that I'm trying to follow, but it's not always easy, I'm, I'm against power creep a lot. But power creep in design and development, for some people, and maybe, and they're not totally wrong, is, uh, is demanding and it's, you have to do it. You have to keep people involved. And uh, so you have to make the interest of the game increase via methods by increasing the power level of some cards. But you have to keep it in check. That's the main problem. It's a very difficult balance, you know? Yeah, so to jump in there, I guess with respect to the power creep angle, it's perhaps worth noting at this point, like the, I guess, the team dynamic within <laughs> development. Einzike, which is how we know them, um, Morgan, is so the optimist of the team. There are three of us. Anzuke is highly energized, is trying to make, tries to make things shiny and satisfying to play. Uh, yeah, is the more exciting among us. Uh, Z, you've described yourself as the pessimist, um, which I think is <laughs> more a or less, bit, yes. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> perhaps a little bit unkind to yourself, but you've mentioned that you're trying to find ultimately errors in card. You're looking for errors, like have the critical eye. And related to, you know, power creep, you're worried about current balance because how easy it is to break things. Um, the end is near, the game broke, all that stuff. Yeah, so I guess in that respect, I'm <laughs> somewhat of a balancer. I'm Power creep, I think, is a necessary tool, but has to be used very intentionally. You have to know, okay, why are we uh, upping the power curve here? Is there a specific reason behind doing it and directing it in quite a, a narrow fashion? So you're not increasing the power level of everything in the game. You are going, okay, so what currently as a mechanic or within the card pool, with respect to the overall power curve of the game, is lower than it should be? So, in for example, Advanceable Ice is one of the things that... Back in the day, I would rant, go on very extensive tirades about um, how bad Advanceable Ice was. Um, and so that's, yeah, that is Been a there. ice type that absolutely, <laughs> I think, you know, saw and I guess conti will continue to see, um, you know, a higher power curve than it did before. So is this a promise that whenever you get a piece of ice from... Uh... Greg in design that you're going to send back the draft with just uh, advanceable ice functionality put on top of it and the credits well, cost you see, drop the, by the two. The good thing is um, uh, we ultimately all keep each other in check. Maybe early stages of testing I'll go, maybe we can try it at these over push numbers but you know, I'll quickly try to recognize, okay I think actually this is, this is excessive. Yeah and I guess I think Anzakai tends towards slightly higher power and Z <laughs> is the one to go. Actually, no, no, no. Let's 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 be careful here. Let's let's, let's not go overboard. 
And then Dave just uh, proposes to add the credit gain to the card. That's oh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. oh, actually, that's something that happens that's always. <laughs> so, <laughs> always. So basically related to the simplicity <laughs> and elegance, there's something of an internal joke running within Dev. It's no longer an internal joke because I'm ruining it now. Uh, but <laughs> basically, <laughs> I turn everything into an econ card. So while that is... That's a little bit of a facetious oversimplification. There is a, a kernel or two of truth in there. So at its core, a lot of truth, yeah, actually. Every, <laughs> everything in Netrunner revolves around resource management. Your credit pool, the ways in which you can leverage it, uh, you know, it's completely integral to the Netrunner experience. So, let, let me jump in one moment on yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead. Actually, Netrunner is one of the games that you can go broke yourself due to your choices. It's not like uh, Hearthstone or MTG that you have now five mana. Next round, you have six mana. You will get it back. In Netrunner, everything you spend, you, you are not getting it back. It's gone. Unless you have set up a board state, yeah. you know, where you have drip economy. It's a, you are, you know, very much responsible for your own econ. So ultimately for me, like reducing something to an economy card isn't, isn't actually something that puts me off because just an economy card is fundamental to the game. So yeah, I, I have a tendency to go, <laughs> okay, the design isn't quite right here. Maybe slap lose one credit or gain one credit onto it. Maybe maybe if you did that. You, so that's, oh, actually, that's a, I, sh I should have said, I will take 100% full credit. I shouldn't. But uh, for Paragon. So Paragon saying gain one credit would not oh, have yeah? said gain one credit if I hadn't said Actually, so this effect, you know, of scrying, yeah, the, the filter effect is pretty good. But what if it said gain one credit and do this? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I've said in that vein, uh, fully operational is a cool example of an economy card mm -hmm. that I think everyone within development, I know I did, uh, really wanted to push it with even just one remote. This is, you're dealing with um, something that's either a beanstalk or a corpsite uh, build script. Uh, it's, it's scaling sure. is, you know, it works really well. Even just the baseline with bare minimum board state is quite strong. So it encourages deck building that deviates considerably from, you know, a, a typical glacier shell or widely horizontal fare. You can't play it in a, an asset spam list because you need to ice it, but you can't, I guess, play it in a typical single scoring remote glacier because, well, that that's then it's just a beanstalk. It's like old school HB. You need two or three servers, and then the first fully operational, it's a lot of money or a lot of cards. Yeah, I, to fuel I really the like next it that server. Sense, the, yeah. yeah, I have seen it fire with uh, sort of two, three, three, four three servers. Is really sweet. And... Yeah, th three is really sweet. And I uh, hope we push it some more in the future. <laughs> Twenty. I think you just, uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you need a deck exactly. size of like eighty to get it going, but. <laughs> All right, well, we sort of uh, strayed into sort of Ashes proper, um, but uh, sort of let's let's dig in. Um, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, hey. You developed and released an entire, uh, well, half a cycle of cards so you, far. You are official, not trademarked, not encroaching on copyright. Yeah, we made it. Never creators. <laughs> uh, so... Thanks to your indulgence, we have a better idea of what development is, what it looks like, yep. how to be good, and if we ever tried our hands at it, probably bad at it. <laughs> we will never try uh, our hands at that. Ah, come on, we could try. It'd be really funny. <laughs> so, Nisei, uh, David, you said, you know, you sort of threw your hat in the ring very early when we were sort of still talking about, like, the selection committee for the board that was then sort of uh, in charge of populating the rest of the organization. 
At what point did uh, development become sort of an active thing? Um, so, how do I put it? Uh, so, obviously, within Nisei actually happening, there was always the plan to have future sets. It was a, you know, Nisei is, it's more than just new cards. It is a continued support of the game, you know, and that involves uh, new prize support, new community, you know, community engagement, which, again, departments that, didn't apply for because I know I'm not good at, um, and I'm really glad that we have you know those involved in those departments that are. RC does a fantastic job. Alice does a fantastic job. Um, but yeah, there were always the plan to be um, new cards, new sets. Uh, so obviously, as uh, you know, so this is your chance to trash David's management and working style. <laughs> He'll and... PM you afterwards, I'm sure. Yeah. Actually, Dave is. Proved himself to be the coolest head in this I think. He Aww. had various crises, let's say, but he always came out really cool and on top, I think. He, I cannot trust him on this. We can discuss about power level of cards, about cost. <laughs> yeah. We were promised drama. That's why we had you on. Uh, you, then you, we can do a cross, uh, cross department uh, podcast. Bring a design and bring us rules. You can have drama then. <laughs> I'd say possibly some of that is just a, a Kiwi New Zealand thing, but I think it's more just a, a, a me thing um, <laughs> I, within that community aspect. And, you know, internally, Nisa is a community as well. You know, we, we'll, we will inevitably have conflict, um, but, you know, being able to resolve that in a, uh, a level-headed and appropriate manner uh, will always minimize that. Actually, conflict. Dave sometimes is... Excuse me. Dave sometimes is very level-headed i had a huge uh, fight with my crew concerning the cost of demolisher <laughs> in in typical okay. mediterranean style shouts hands waving and all that <laughs> <laughs> and then i get to discuss it with dave and it's okay okay and it all resolved normally <laughs> it was a, a huge difference you know one, uh, one time you were shouting to your mates about the cost of the cards, they were starting back, and then you get to talk to with David. It was like a, it was a Zen moment, something like that. <laughs> I don't know entirely how I feel about that, but yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I like do not let it be stated that I do not have opinions because I have opinions, and I have quite. Yeah. No, no, you managed to pass your opinion that I felt actually pleased about it. <laughs> you are very good at this. Thanks. So on on your um. On your opinions, then, when the the game was left by FFG, what were the sort of uh, development points um, from the state of the game that you wanted to sort of address, if you like, or change with a uh, with downfall or with ashes in general? FFG actually, the more the game progressed, it, it went into a better state, I think. When FFG left the game, uh, what we want to change? We actually want to see more ideas getting played. Okay. Practically in Shaper, you only have Haley and maybe Wu. Think Lat is going to be a right step in this direction. Lat, the new identity. The, the free draw, practically, if you try for it. We think it's very good. Uh, we want more archetypes for the past. Actually, for the whole life of the game, it seems to be only one archetype viable. Either it's Asset Spam or Glacier. That. I think we never had the time that both existed and uh, were viable at the same time. So this is a big bet that developer is trying to undertake and uh, give more viable archetypes. And also bring back the fun in some cards, for me at least. 
for some parts of the duration of the game, junk was just junk. Not actually doing anything, just trying to make a lot of things to impress the, or your opponent or to make him so bored that uh, he will probably quit, say, okay, I don't want this, I want to play. Congratulations, you ruined but we want to... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now, we want, for example, the new Gintetia ID and some new Gintetia cards, they want to make net damage, not just grinder, you know, make uh, memorable moments. So like uh, the complete image card. It's a very skillful slash junkful card, uh, luck based. It depends on how you look at it. If you you can always complain that uh, the opponent was lucky and uh, the, the corp killed you based on luck, but still, it's a skillful card and the fun card also. And it's more fun if you keep on playing the same opponents. <laughs> let's say on the you kitchen get more table. And more yeah, you know what they're playing. You know how they're thinking. Yeah, you get into the heads. It's actually nice. Uh, I think we did the good on this one. Yeah. Now for the runners. The one thing we pushed for sure it was criminal because it criminal criminal was sure. bad for a long time, and yeah, yep. I think Lat will make a splash. I hope at least <laughs> I put a bet on him. Is that a literal bet? <laughs> no, yeah, actually, it's a beer bet. Uh, someone is going to pay for the bits. Oh, fantastic! I mean, that's always the yeah. best kind of bet because you know then you know the loser can have a beer as well, and everyone Everyone's feels good happy. about it. <laughs> I saw uh, Bruce at the pub this evening was playing lat with um, patchwork. Oh so yeah, he was yeah, able sure. to draw extra cards out of his hand and stuff like that, which is quite cool. Yeah, so one of the I guess reasons I'm a big fan of lat uh, is show, and I guess this once again, as it always does, it pertains to economy. Um, so, <laughs> so one of the reasons I think uh, lat is actually very cool. So you know, if you can trigger lat's ability every one of your turns like that's a very very strong um um to have you know a free draw uh and also you know just seems like on top of that and light has a link what is this you know this isn't this power creep of ids um so <laughs> i i think one thing and i think that's very notable and people did pick up on reasonably quickly is let has anti-synergy with one of the strongest runner cards in the game in stim hack so, and that is definitely, I can recognize that's one of the most painful things about LAT. But so fundamentally, as LAT, you have to use something of a different econ package. You can't use, you can use StimHack, but... But then you can't use LAT. Yeah, unless you have, you know, something to um, increase your hand size from there. Well, uh, then the corp can play around your ID by keeping five cards in hand constantly. So, yeah, it's... Subtly, again, everything's tied into economy. Um, yeah, I was happy to push Let's ID ability in quite a strong way because in recognizing, well, there is a very significant, a very notable downside as well to the ID. Yeah. Well, I suppose I can anecdotally pay uh, you and the rest of the team behind Downfall uh, a compliment in that uh, I was quite excited to build a Lat deck and came up against the very problem you described and it got me to play flame out chips uh, in a deck which was interesting and fun uh, and the deck was very bad so the anecdote so doesn't reflect very well is, on me why weren't you uh, but I'm, your flame out uh well i was using uh spec work to okay, okay. scrub yeah, my yeah, programs away that. and then reinstall them um but yeah maybe, maybe yeah. i should have been rejigging more i'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> revisit sure. that list I suppose actually that's something I wanted to ask. Were there 
as well as things you wanted to change, maybe things that you felt need, uh, FFG had started to explore that you wanted to expand on? So I think generally speaking, and I think, I hope this isn't too controversial a statement. Um, so I think Shaper has had something of an identity problem for, I guess, a while, and that they've had um, a few cards, I think, that they've somewhat relied on necessarily. So, and yes, I'm going to say it again, economy. So Shaper economy, like, how did you, like, Shaper of your, how does Shaper do economy? Well, it uses... It used Magnum Opus. Oh, whoops. Well, uh, okay, so that's not an option. Okay, so it uses Aesop's. Aside from those two cards, like, that, it's, you don't have economy within Shaper. Barely any. Um, most of the rest is, as Z touched on before, janky jank. It's, it's jank that doesn't work. So, ultimately, you know, to, to get, um, shaper into a position again very fundamental thing was actually shaper is probably in need of some economy um an economy that can actually you know work so spec work is you know an example of a shaper economy card um that you know i imagine people have tried it cabanese woo and works certainly pretty well with spec work um the uh, the I mean the other one there are three uh, shaper actually technically super corridor is technically economy but you're probably not going to trigger that <clears throat> ability overly many times in a game um, but yeah there's Rezek, there's spec work there's Rezeki, um underworld contact uh, esque program and the artist so tutorable underworld contact yeah. that's a yeah, big thing um, so yeah you've got a number of economy cards in the set and again I, as explicated here i don't regret that i think um that's part of shaper's identity which again seems really straightforward like a well that's boring just economy is but i, I think shaper's economy was something that actually did very much need to be addressed in light of the fact of well currently in terms of shaper economy there are very few cards that define them they have very few actually viable um economy tools and aesops the current one is you know is restricted so it's oh okay i didn't choose aesops as my restricted card as shaper therefore i kind of just don't have money um unless i'm spending you know out of going out of faction for it and i don't <laughs> think uh in terms of color pie that shaper's piece of the color pie is be poor so i wonder if you have thoughts on this Zenos, because i was just uh thinking in response to what david was saying a lot of, or almost all of the non-restricted or banned economy cards that see play are really old. Like the w most recent released one I can think of, uh, outside of like some criminal run event stuff, is Career Fair, which is pretty old at this point. And basically every other playable econ card on the runner side in particular that's been released has swiftly either been restricted, banned, or rotated. So as the sort of the pessimist yeah. within development... What are what are the sort of the <laughs> red flags you're looking out for in this drive to make not being poor part of Shaper's color pie? Actually, the Shaper problem is twofold. You, whatever card you want to produce, you also don't want to push the player into a late game ending sure. 
for example, let me restate it. Sapers uh, had Magnum Opus, but most yeah. of the time Magnum Opus did not provide a good playing experience. The Shaper player just waited, clicked for money, clicked for money, clicked for money, and remote comes. That's all. You want something more either interactive or more drastic. Uh, so, Rizetti actually is a good cut for who, and it's a good cut in general because people like trip economy. Okay, and this is one is tutorable, so it can start from the st from the beginning. You tutor for it, and then you try to press the corp directly. You now have your economy; you don't care about it anymore. It will just drip and press from the start early on. But uh, re reject, for example, or uh, spec work actually cuts that uh, fee. How how can I state it? Uh, you can you use them during the flow of the game. You use a diesel, you draw, you use a spec work for a program, you use a resenti, you use a pelanzi that is also an econ card. The pelanzi on a lamb is actually money, it's an early press. So you want to make the separate player to draw and play cards, draw and play cards, not uh, run events, this is a criminal color pie, not uh, flashy, trashy stuff, this is anarch, but Play cards, play chips, play programs, do stuff. Not just remote camp. That's yeah, the main thing. So we're, this is what we yeah, are trying to so do. Looking for, I guess, more of a fluid, like your rig is this potentially transient thing that is, you know, shifting states and at the same time, I guess, giving you tempo. So, you know, I think spec work and rejig are, you know, looking at... Uh, Rejig is, is neutral, but, you know, I, th I think primarily we'll see play within Shaper as a tool to, I guess, treat your rig as almost an extension of your credit pool. Well, my lat deck can actually sort of uh, support your success in this again, because I was uh, in the pub playing and stalwart of the UK scene, Rufus, came over and said, Seamus, it appears to be very late in the game and you don't seem to have a rig. To which I replied, Rufus, my rig is designed to be very fluid. <laughs> and I didn't lose for another five or six turns after that. So it was <laughs> a rip-roaring success on all sides. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll send some playtest decks. Yeah, way. yeah. <laughs> I may just be doing this very badly. <laughs> Uh, now it came to my mind on your previous question, what FFG did wrong. I think that FFG never managed to make sure. consoles right. They were either flat out broken and uh, moved to MWL the next MWL installment, or they were just crap, not used. So we are actually trying to push the power level of consoles a lot. And you're going to see some really nice consoles in the next set also. Oh, Z, That's a promise. Exciting Spoilers. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, uh, yeah, I guess on that note, I will say that I, I we definitely want, you know, to have consideration for consoles should be playable. Um, that doesn't mean they're universally good. You know, often you'll still have to find a way to use it. But I think... Under FFG, I mean, again, this really isn't a criticism because it's it's ultimately a, a learning from mistakes, you know, aspect. Many of the actually effective consoles that, you know, weren't banned are were almost like happy accidents. So, you know, we want consoles to be something that in the right deck can be very effective. So are there any particular cards in uh, Downfall so far that kind of you particularly like that kind of fit into that um, 
sort of development or design philosophy that you were speaking about before? Actually, I think that <laughs> all people in Shea are so huge Netrunner lovers that we probably like all cards. Let's start with that. We love every card. I think that's produced, a good point. Yeah, more or there's less. someone within Nisei that actually almost any card in the set, you name it, is like is going to be their favorite card. But from my view, I I mainly I'm not a very theme guy. I'm mainly a mechanic guy. So actually, my trade is a mechanical engineer. So I like to see the card from a mechanical standpoint. So one of the cards that I actually like and I think that it's a possible sleeper is reduced service, the upgrade, the defensive upgrade. Uh, when you raise it, you may put up to four, you may pay up to four credits to play that mm -hmm. many power counters on it, and then the runner has to run on central server to either remove the counters or pay two credits for its hosted power counter. We actually had the card a bit more powerful during testing and a very neat deck with Divert Power came out. Oh, sure. So so you reduce service, you unraised it, the counter stayed on top of the card, you got a discount on the ice outside, and then you raised it again. Oh, no. <laughs> then you had the reduced service with eight counters. You, actually, the counters at that time were more. <laughs> 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 We decided to take it a little down. This is a very neat card. And from the runner side, I think that Husuk is a very interesting take on deck building restriction. Now you have to... Okay, it's a new multi-access card. And the game is probably going to need multi-access cards every time. They have to be in the pool just to press R&D and get some wins with them. Some needed wins. But... Uh, you have now to take into account your deck building, your hardware, the costs. It's something that was not done before. I don't remember any card that actually cared for the other costs in your deck. We actually, okay, we took care that some console and some new card actually costed specific amounts. Two and four seemed to be the sweet spot, so we some new cards were pushed to this cost range. And now you have a deck that... You have to work on it, and once you have your rig down, Kusuk is actually a very neat card. I did see, I get it was Bruce's deck again, the lap patchwork deck that played, um, how do you pronounce it? Is it Kusuk? I don't want to um, put myself out there. I gather it's something close <laughs> to Kusuk. Kusuk. Okay, Kusuk. Yeah. So I, I suppose the fun thing for us, Rob, is uh, friend of the show, Ian, is on the creative team. Mm. Yes. So we could do a whole episode where we just get him to teach us how to pronounce all the cards. <laughs> that sounds worthy. So, yep. so watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, he, played this, he played this card and managed to then see six cards from his all from four cost items on his rig. Sure. This was a massive that big, is a rig, big, big, big rig. And it would have been more if he hadn't been game over the turn before <laughs> and had two other four cost cards. <laughs> so was it like a super corridor, um paperclip, Gordian Blade, Nanotka? No. Nanotka. No, the I think the artist had been taken away. As well, there was a lot of downfall cards on show. It maybe good. speaks to why my Shaper experiments have been going so badly that I immediately was like, well, no, obviously we'll have had three RDIs because they're four <laughs> And I was like, someone, someone I think overlaps. Mistakes have there. been made. <laughs> You're not really a Shouldn't Shaper have had that player. third beer, I, I, man. I guess on the, on the note of um, Hushuk, one of the things that I, I think is neat, and I guess it sort of ties into the simplicity uh, discussion before, Hushuk is a, par a card that, on the surface, there's a lot of text on that card. It looks like a yeah. ooh, that's that's a, it's a bit of a 
you know, a lot of text on the card, and the card itself was a bit of a mouthful. So um, what do I do with this? And, you know, in terms of deck building, it does add a fair amount of um, additional deck building constraints because it's a card you don't just put Kushuk into your deck and go, I'm good, but this this card works like the Maker's yeah. Eye. No, 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 you have to build around it. But despite that deck building um, component and the fact that on the surface it looks overly wordy, if, if you've played it, like this is not a complicated card in terms of what does it do? You count the number of cards you yeah. have installed which have a cost, and then you access that card among the top. Um, you access one card from among the top that number. I didn't have it on my favorite cards list, but I do like it quite a lot. And I also think um, your friend. I'm pretty sure your friend Ian actually did the art for it. I know he has done yeah, some I'm of the art. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure because I I recall actually specifically saying to him, "Hey, uh, thanks for this. The art on this card is really cool. I like it." Um, yes. It... Uh, shout out to Ian. He also did the art for our podcast. Yep, it, I just just looking at it now, by the way. <laughs> Probably his finest work. <laughs> <laughs> just looking at it now, by the way. Yep. Um, he is responsible for Hushuk, So. Oh, fantastic. Nice. I think he's going to be play Saber for life from now on. Uh, I don't really remember him ever playing anything else, to be honest. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, so with respect to what cards I specifically like from the set, I I know, and ultimately this is something somewhat naughty as a developer. You know, I shouldn't really have favorites and babies, but ultimately, inherently, I, I, I will, because I just... There are cards that I, I like. I like we, we won't tell the anybody. vast majority of the cards. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Daily Quest is one that I know is a card that almost immediately saw um, saw play, and for obvious reasons. This is like it says gain three credits at the start. You know when your turn begins. This is that that is a very very powerful effect. Um, so it's a very powerful asset. But I think the, any concern that this, ooh, you know, are we going, uh, I, uh, we really want to promote asset play? I, I, I think it's fairly obvious this is not a card you are playing in a widely horizontal deck. You have to, like, at minimum, you really want to have this iced um, singly, at minimum. So this is a card, um, despite being an asset, and I think that's, that's a really big thing about assets in general. And this, I guess, ties into part of why I like it so much in that I think it pushes a design space for assets of, uh, I guess, inherently, there's always the concern about an asset is, you know, this has to occupy its own server. So in order for, you know, if we push the parallel level of this, is this just promoting overly horizontal play? And inevitably, some assets will lend themselves more to being played horizontally. That isn't necessarily a bad thing. But in the case of Daily Quest, this was something specifically that we went, you know what, I actually want this to both direct deck building, but also play style, in that you either have to play a semi-horizontal list, and I'll note that semi-horizontal is, is a, a term that I, I guess I'm somewhat pushing, you know, with uh, fully operational, as mentioned before, this is, you are playing something somewhat horizontal, even if it's just... How many, what number of remotes disqualifies you from the designation of semi-horizontal? Like, can you have, like, five remotes? Is that okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I 
That feels around the limit, right? Like, because six is way too many. So, honestly, in my mind, I I was going to make a a joke about how arbitrary it is, which it is. So, (laughs) semi-horizontal, truthfully, in my mind, is, like, actually sort of thinking only really maximum four emotes. You're thinking... um, Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) All my decks are very much horizontal. Maybe five. (laughs) Maybe five. But, like, your semi-horizontal is effectively, though, like, your glacier, you've got a scoring remote. Sure. Um, horizontal as it spam you know you're looking as it spam and horizontal i also don't think are the same thing there's sure. there's yeah i i think i mean for example i don't think uh ctm is asset spam of course um, not most lists uh are playing the, if you actually count the total number of servers they have it's not enormous gagar and a lot of decks are asset spam so semi-horizontal i guess in my mind is you're playing between one and three at any given time different additional like auxiliary remotes. These aren't your scoring remotes. If you go for an oversimplification, is actually one scoring remote, one economic remote, and one funky one stuff, <laughs> auxiliary <laughs> stuff there. Yeah, you either have gifs there or a card drawing card. Yeah, so, miscellaneous. <laughs> yeah, I think, so daily quests, I mean, the other thing is you have daily quests as a temporary, like in-between score um, server occupier. So obviously if you're doing that, um, you know, it's it's a temporary thing. It's it's not going to last permanently. So, as such, uh, Blue Sun leverages it really well um, because when you determine, okay, I've made a good amount of money from this, you don't even have to trash it. You, just, you pull it back, actually go for your agenda or your NGO bluff, and then you can reinstall it afterwards. Another one that I think does it reasonably well is, you know, CTM. So, obviously, it's in faction. And CTM, although it is going more horizontal you possibly have to play more ice in a daily quest oriented list than you would be used to in ctm but you can play say team sponsorships and so you have daily quest occupying your remote you overwrite it to score agendas when you score the agenda you team sponsorship back in your daily quest um i guess again those sort of in that semi-horizontal vein so fully operational is what i mentioned Mm -hmm. before earlier on i think fully operational. As Z was touching on, we certainly want to push IDs as well. And inevitably, strong cards will be played in, uh, you know, known strong IDs. Um, but we want to also provide support for IDs that maybe haven't seen as much play. So fully operational is very obviously within HB. I think ASA, ASA group um, uses it um, very well because the idea is fundamentally built on with one click, you can install an ice and a card in that server um, to uh, create a functional remote for fully operational. So, yeah, I I really dig um, that card. And I'm glad, I, I think, that within the set we've pushed something of a, again, semi-horizontal, I'm going to keep using that word, this is going to become a thing, um, <laughs> as an archetype that can we're certainly looking to continue to support it i really like the uh the theming on daily quest as well that sort of like that kind of video game aspect of like oh i've kind of got to go and do this mission i don't really want to but if i don't then i'm <laughs> going to start falling behind i'm not going to gain experience and blah 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 blah, blah. but that that card yeah. when i read it and played against it the first time i thought yeah that that fits <laughs> yeah i agree it's it's very cool it's something obviously i have I not my department, and I 
massive, huge, huge, and this is one of the things under FFG, one thing that I think, you know, I certainly hope we can continue to excel in, have Netrunner continue to excel it, and maybe, you know, just possibly be able to improve on it, is, you know, the theme of the game, I think. I'm huge, like a theme buff, despite the fact that I have nothing to do with it, and it's a good thing that I have nothing to do with the theme. Um, Concerning the new set and FFG preview sets, for example, FFG has made the we have actually reached a plateau in some ice types. You now have Anansi as the best sentry out there. You know, you have Survivor also. You have some ice that you can actually not compete directly without power creep at least. So if you take a close look at the ice in the set. Most of them are very different, very situational, or very specific. Mm-hmm. You have Hagen, a very good ice for me, at least, that it's a very good ice to actually rush behind. And also, it has a neat uh, interaction with Aumakua. It's very anti Yeah, I didn't notice that at first. And then someone pointed out to me, and I was like, oh, that is that's nice. Yeah, you have Amakua and Steel Strings, yeah. six, six strengths. <laughs> we did have a couple of people <laughs> ask us, why does it just, why does it say non-fractor, non-da-da-da-da? Why yeah. does it just say non-icebreaker? And we're like, well, yeah. there is a reason. Yeah, <laughs> there, there is a specific title out there. Link once, raise an eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> then you have, for example, Afsar, one of my favorites, oh, yeah. actually. Afsar, it may sound like, uh, may seem like uh, just economic uh, taxi guys, but it's the best anti-hippo protection out yeah. there you can get on your yeah. HQ. Hippo cannot get it, uh, whatever the cost, whatever they try, they cannot hippo the size. Also phenomenal or, for example, against Black Orchestra. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. Oh. I had to break it on HQ today. And I was like, oh, I'll pay three. <laughs> break I think at run. that point I'd just be like, well, I'm not running HQ again. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You can have that server, yeah. my friend. Matt was like, no, no, you lose two. I was like, oh, I thought you gained two. No, no, you lose it. <laughs> oh. And I thought, oh, well, I'll break that. No, I won't break. Oh, fine, I'll pay five. <laughs> Actually. You see what I mean? Also, Sandstone is very nice. Sure. It's very strong at the beginning. And Rhyme, however inconspicuous it may seem, I've recently faced a two survival, three rhyme server. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. So, I mean, I'm writing that server off as well. I appreciate I'm now running out of servers that I can run, but like those two, you they're can right always, out. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah, <laughs> On the note of rhyme, I will say that that ice is also going to be. I, I, I still think it's relevant um, now. Uh, I think it will become more relevant um with uh yeah some of the cards in uprising and or maybe an id so yeah it's, <laughs> it's definitely uh, i can't remember who did the yard on it i also think i mean i'm gonna say it a lot i also love the yard on a lot of these cards so yeah it's great yeah uh, the art on rhyme is in... oh, why don't you tell us who the artist is uh n hopkins Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess I my two like final entries that I would add on my side. One of the runner cards that uh, I have great affection for is um, Trickster Taka. Is this confirmed the first... F- oh, no, I was going to say, is this the first Fox Netrunner? But of course, there was Foxfire. Mm. Yeah. So, and for what it's worth, in Eternal, Foxfire is very mean to uh, their fellow Fox. Oh, no! Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, where is yeah. the Fox <laughs> yeah. Solidarity? Yeah, I know. It's it's rough. It's it's a battlefield out there. 
But so I, I guess <laughs> has to be noted right off the bat, this has nothing to do with the car mechanically. But Trickster Taka is adorable. Sure, Taka is, is very, very cute. I love the purple. Just that, it's, it's, it's great. Visually, it's a, it's so good. Actually, people start asking for much. Yeah, yeah, with Trickster with Taka. Trickster the Taka art, I had absolutely oh, nothing sure. to that do would with. Be cool. Absolutely nothing, but it's still delightful. <laughs> um, so the the companion. Did you have something to do with the fact it says place one credit on the doors? <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't have to this time, which was great. Um, it, it, the design gave it to me, and it said place one credit. I'm like, now you're speaking. Now you're talking my kind of language. Okay, um, we don't need to play test this. Good to go. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it says spin hosted credits to use programs. Um, so what, I, one thing about uh, Trickster Taka is. Uh, it didn't always say spin hosted credits to use programs during runs. That was one thing that was um, dev at, I, it might've been me, but I don't want to take credit for it. I, within dev and the playtesting process, I wanted to emphasize the during runs aspect of it. You can't stockpile it forever. The downside <laughs> to it is definitely something you can't get away with having go off. Um, so you are actually having to make runs. If it didn't you know, have the during runs, you could just, increase an icebreaker's strength outside of a run um, to make use of the credit. But as is, no, you're actually having to sure. make a uh, run. So it's quite specifically pushing you into an active game plan. I, I know I've heard some, it wasn't necessarily criticism, but like question, wait, why is Taka taking tags? Like, isn't Taka supposed to be stealthy? Why? why I don't get it. I, I, I think it's, it's kind of really cute because Taka's supposed to be the stealthy one. A number of people actually didn't know that it says stealth on it, but it, it, it you don't have to use it in a stealth list. You can use it just because it's you know a drip economy card that costs one. But it's like Taka gets too full of himself. You know he's he's just if you leave him without running for too long, he gets antsy and he starts drawing attention to you. He takes the cloak off. Well, see, I interpreted it as like you not being a good friend to Taka. Like, Ooh. he's there for you being stealthy. Or was there. I don't know if Taka's a gendered name. I don't want to. This, great, to this great fox is there being stealthy and being your companion. But because, you know, you're not doing your part, making runs. Like, you're the one that serves the bargain. That was how I always interpreted it. Oh. I say always. Yeah. I, my, I, I saw it like two weeks ago, I guess. <laughs> not part of the creative department, so I can't actually speak to it. I guess I interpret it oh, how I This episode where we're going to get Ian on is going to be a wild yeah, ride. It's, it's going to be great. Um, <laughs> I assumed he just started screaming after a while. Excuse <laughs> me! I'm here for a reason! I, I don't want to rehash too much of it here because it's been said many times elsewhere. The I sure. really, really love the... Uh, the um, I've been calling them throwback connections, but uh, you know the artist, the nihilist, yeah. and the class act. Sure. Um, I think. I mean, again, art. I had absolutely nothing to do with. Phenomenal. Um, yeah, it's really, really fantastic art. And like, I think the fact that they both draw on the ability of each of their respective IDs, as well as, like I say, you know, fundamental card within each of those factions like a, a key card or mechanic within each of those factions, I think it's really cool. Um, the, I guess the, the final card that I touch on that I think is really cool is um, SDS drone deployment. And this, there, I'll readily admit there is some degree of bias here, which as much as possible, I, tr I try to, I, I, I like Wayland, okay? I, I <laughs> full disclosure, I do. <laughs> You're like, in good company. Yeah, <laughs> full disclosure, I do like Wayland. And in, in the process of, um, rotating terminal directive one of the things that actually i did have some 
uh, regret about is, you know, Graf disappears. And Graf is one of, like, the only playable um, Wayland 5.3s. In terms of its effect, um, it's actually a strong yeah. effect. Um, it does admittedly say, shuffle your deck instead of shuffle R&D, which upsets me to no end. <laughs> but, yeah, so SDS drone deployment is a 5.3. Like, that's that's a scary thing. It's and it is the the damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's the you don't go for it. Well, I'm guess I'm gonna send my drones at you if you do. Yeah. Well, the drones are still there, so I, I dig it. I dig it a lot. Um, it's really difficult to steal if all you've got is bin breakers, as I found out earlier. Today. <laughs> <laughs> and, they re- and they just point blank refuse to res any ice. <laughs> Run through an access. Like, oh, I guess I'll leave that for later. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, That'd be great if you had three of them on the table, all <laughs> advanced to the point of scoring. <laughs> all right. Well, since you sort of uh, hinted at future things, before we sort of try and pick your brains for some hints as to where things might be going, maybe both of you would like to sort of give a summary of, first of all, you know, what was maybe like the the greatest challenge um, personally for each of you in sort of getting downfall out the door and into our greedy hands actually the, the, the biggest problem and challenge at the same time was the time frame of the release everything was going really crazily fast you we had the versions upon versions change the same day uh, i was sleeping with version four and waiting in version five <laughs> something like that yeah they are eight hours before they were doing well while i was sleeping i then Preach that the world is coming to an end for the next eight hours. They went to sleep and they wake up with all my comments. We, it was a crazy pace actually, uh, but I think we did well. We may have taken a more conservative approach. Okay, that's a fact. But because it's also a first set, you don't want to ban all your cards <laughs> in the next two months. <laughs> it will not look good at least. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, and like I said before, I want, we wanted to produce cards that will actually see play. For example, SDS drone deployment, as you said before. You take it against the normal Lanark tech, and the Lanark player cannot score it, actually, with the bin breakers. It's possible. He, the player has to think differently this time. You know what, if you know what I mean. A lot of things change. A lot of how the deck are, decks are going to be built, and a lot of how the players are going to attack the corp. Uh, some situations change, it's it's getting different, and I don't know, but uh, first of all, the set was uh, conceptualized by Design and Creative as a one cycle, 120 cards. So in the future cards, in the next set, you're going to see more uh, cards that work together, more synergies that are not so visible right now because you only have the first 65 cards. That's a very main thing. Mirror Morph, I think, is going to get uh, better and better. Uh, as time progresses, and uh, we also you're going to see more companions. Okay, we have two, you're going to see more. You're also going to see a new Anarch ID that uses them. So, uh, companion day. I think that sounds very fun. Actually, it is, but I cannot say a lot more. <laughs> you would okay. be correct in your assessment. Um, yeah. So, as is there a wolf? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Lord, let there be a wolf. These are the big questions. <laughs> as Z says, I think you know. Ultimately, because of how 
like I, I think it was really important to make sure that the player base had been waiting pretty patiently for you know some time this had been a while since we netrunner had had a new infusion of cards so it was important for us to actually get downfall out the door in a really timely manner but you know that that meant very very frantic um as mentioned like i i had many many a late night and a couple of all-nighters which i will never get back um and <laughs> i have aged considerably but yeah it's i think in the process there are Possibly are a few cards in there that are slightly more conservative, uh, power level wise than I guess maybe I think could have been. They could have possibly been um, pushed a little bit harder. Um, but in light of um, the constraints, I think it was entirely understandable. Um, that being said, as Z also touched upon, you have a number of cards in here, and this is the difficulty of having a a split cycle. That on the surface it doesn't. It might look. You look at it and go, "Hmm, I'm not, I'm not really seeing this." Or I guess I sort of see what this is doing, but there doesn't feel like enough support for it. Um, so, i.e., maybe the beginnings of a new archetype that isn't quite there. So, in Uprising, you have more fleshing out of some of the archetypes that were were partially explored in Downfall. I think, as I'll say, uh, the new Crim ID. I think as does have support, but I think as definitely gets stronger. There are a number of things that um, Downfall itself begins the process for, uh, lays the seed, but ultimately the archetypal support necessary to actually make it, you know, especially competitively viable. You're probably waiting on a few more pieces, and yeah, they may be on the way. Oh, yeah. uh, Hyobu as well. The new Genteki ID. And there's also a new Genteki agenda that it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Really interesting. This is going to be very nice. <laughs> there's some tantalizing stuff. Uh, I think, Rob, you've staked your claim to, you know, I appreciate it's, it's probably going to be late in the process, but your request is in. You want a companion wolf. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if I can take a moment to speak up, uh, I would love a sun bear. Oh yeah. If if that's <laughs> if that's considered too niche a bear, then I would accept a black bear. But I've, ideally, I've got to say bear. again, not our department. Uh, so let, let me feel, say though, I want to be very clear. To, uh, you know, to uh, badger um, Ian. No, no, I don't want a badger. I want a sun bear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I reckon that's a deliberate use of words. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> Badger confirmed in Uprising. Uh, <laughs> Just speak to Ian and work out if he's doing the art for these. Because we need a wolf. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to drop any any more spicy hints about the future before we, we wrap this thing up? Oh, what are we talking uh, about? Yeah, May I? Go ahead. Please do. Yeah, we have. We're actually making a new corp card subtype in, uh, in Uprising. Yeah, there's. And it's very interesting. The, it's, there's again, there's the details of which are they're still being worked out. Um, yeah, actually, it's a, it's a new card that will help. Okay, you, all cards are either economic or help you defend your agendas, but the actual conceptualization and mechanical wise, the the nature of the cards are really interesting and really tie in well with uh, each faction. And I think. It's going to be nice. Actually, it was really interesting during development and playtesting. 
of course we had a ton of variations on them, a ton of iterations. We had some major disagreements with rules and major changes there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of back and forth, but I think we... and are so glad that they ensure we don't. <laughs> but yeah, inherently they, it's. I'm sure we are a nightmare for them. Um. Is it is it sort of like a a parent child relationship where you sort of you're running to get on the swings and they're pointing out that you're feet are tied together at the laces and actually that's not how the swing is work. covered in broken you don't glass jump off the, you don't yeah, <laughs> yeah um, so, something like that um, yeah. um so yeah as as he says there's a new series of corp cards for each of the different corp factions um uh that yeah defensively will play a major role more consoles um, they're going to be good. Uh, More yep. good consoles, yeah. <laughs> and what have we not noted? So Apex, I, th- I think you've heard a little thing about Apex. Apex will get some love. Um, I'm not going to elaborate further than that, but Apex will get some love. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Nice. It's, it's- that's a very exciting news for a very specific group of people, I think. Yeah, it's it's ultimately that's that's not gonna be the the takeaway from the of this podcast from most, but yeah, we're we're aware but, that hey, different places exist. So. It would it would be a sad thing if Nisei succeeded in sort of taking up the mantle of FFG's stewardship of the game in every respect, except for giving apex players little glimpses of excitement like you know it doesn't take much and they appreciate it you You never hear apex players sitting about uh complaining that you know assimilator isn't very click efficient you know they're into it they love it like they've made their beds and they're lying in it and you know god love them for that all right um thank you both so much uh Rob, do you have anything else you wanted to cover before we close out? No, just to thank you for your sleepless nights. Yeah. Um, and yeah. all of the time that you've put into this. The, seeing that huge stack of cards arrive and realize that that was, well, done in seven, nine months, something like that, is unbelievable. Um, so for, yeah, for both of you, for the rest of your dev team and everybody else at Nisei, I suppose, just a, a huge thank you from us and... I imagine our listeners and the rest of the community for yeah the amount of work you've put into it it's phenomenal and uh, very very highly appreciated you are extremely welcome and, You're and welcome. again we only played you know a part in that we played our own small part um as you know it's it's a it's a process we are part of that process i think design like the like the fact that the the vision for the set and the, me- the mechanics design for the set are so fantastic we had to work with the creative did i, I mean i i can't stop uh praising creative <laughs> ian probably actually <laughs> if you talk to him and said hey well what, what do you what what do you know about the base? he's probably like oh yeah yeah he doesn't stop just yelling about <laughs> how like, the, like, creative does a fantastic job um you know organize play um edit all all, all the departments are so yeah, I feel very privileged to be a part of this team. Um, and yeah, as much as I joke about uh, uh, aging, it's also been a very, very fulfilling um, 
and satisfying process. Um, and and we actually became a really tight team after the, this process. We are yeah, we're a team with all the meaning behind this world, if you know what yeah. I mean. Z isn't not sla- yeah, Z isn't not slagging me off just because um yeah, for diplomatic <laughs> reasons. <laughs> yeah, we actually do like each other. So. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, the the final thing I just wanted to close out on what's hopefully a positive note. Um for both of you, what would be sort of say in six months time from now uh uprising is out both packs have sort of been assimilated by the community what is sort of the the result of all that work that would make you smile look into the middle distance and say yeah all, all those sleepless nights all the aging it was worth it actually see more players come in the game that will be the best thing ever yeah yeah can't disagree <laughs> yeah this would be the best thing ever highly satisfying yeah i i'm and this is where my actually pessimistic side comes in. I, I know I will never ultimately be truly satisfied because I'm always going to go, oh, but what if we'd done this differently or that? <laughs> but I I know for a fact that, you know, to have the community receive it and go, wow, it's just really, really cool to be able to play this game. For, for, there were a number of people, and I think understandably, uh, didn't really jump on the Nisei train at all until Downfall came out because it was, you know, well, Sure, we'd we'd like to support you, but what? But for a lot of people, it's new cards are what what are really going to bring them back. So once Ashes, the full set is the full cycle is released. I think I know it would. Uh, I'll feel like at least, despite all of my own neuroses and oh, but what about? I I I would. Yeah, it would be. Ultimately, I would still be able to to smile and look back at it with pride. If you know the communities receive this really positively and sees it as a the game is well and truly alive and in good hands, okay, we will probably keep this feeling for five hours before next the next set will arrive. <laughs> <laughs> we have more work to do. Yeah, something like Wait, that. <laughs> you got to work bears and wolves in there. You've got a lot of work to be getting on with. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you both so much. Um, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and I won't repeat uh, Rob's lengthy but very deserved uh, thanks to you and the rest of the team at Nisei. Uh, again, so welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing us. For, for the listeners, I guess, thanks for um, continuing to support the game, um, continuing to listen to us talk both meaningfully and ridiculously about all the aspects of this game that we do love. <laughs> And thank you for navigating your way around this strange but delightful brew of different accents. I, <laughs> I imagine it became difficult at times, but congratulations for persevering. You have my... <laughs> We've always prided ourselves on being the podcast with the most accents. So. Well, I think you just that trend, so congratulations. <laughs> Our USP is ticked. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks guys. And yeah, I guess the rest is history. Hopefully, good history. We'll see. <laughs>